and the patients are, are so empowered with the knowledge and I don't think that the oncologist appreciates how knowledgeable some of my followers are because they learn this stuff they are like fully into understanding what's driving well, if they're cancer. reading your books they absolutely are <laughs> honestly to be honest I think it threatens doctors maybe it does I hadn't thought about it that way I it think it do. threatens them because I love sitting in front of patients that are knowledgeable and empowered and I can tell very quickly when they are, I said, oh, great, we get to go down some rabbit holes together. Yeah, you know, I get excited about yeah. it. And you know what I get really excited about is when they teach me something. Yeah, that's it's terrific. It's like, holy cow, I had no idea. And the people go, well, you're a doctor, you should know. No, no. If any doctor tells you he knows everything, run, yeah. run. Yeah. And I always tell my wife, if I tell her when I come home, I know everything, it is time to retire Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. I am the medical director at Brio Medical in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am both a conventionally trained and licensed medical doctor as well as a licensed medical homeopathic doctor. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. Are we winning the war on cancer? Dr. Nathan Goodyear here, the Practicing Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast, back with the international best-selling author, Jane McClellan, her book, How to Starve Cancer. And I think we have the opportunity to dive into some unique perspective. Jane, thank you for joining us again. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. I'm wearing her out. Um, <laughs> she's just a wealth of knowledge um, and she's incredible. And uh, so we wanna share her story and you need to buy her book and go on her on her website and to her online uh, teaching program because you're going to hear her story, which is going to touch your heart. It's going to touch your soul. But then on the back side, if you're like me and you're a geek, you're going to dive into the data. She's going to show you the what. She's going to show you the how. So then the question comes, are, how are we doing in this war on cancer? Because when you look at conventional chemotherapy, it was born out of war. World War I, World War II, the Little Pearl Harbor, that's where actually the beginning of the investigation eventually launched the transition of you know, one facility within Fort Detrick, Maryland, with the help of Sloan and Kettering to actually build us and bring us what is modern day chemotherapy industry. And then Nixon declared war in 1971. But are we winning this war on cancer? And actually had the pleasure back in 2016 of actually standing, speaking between Thomas Siegfried and then uh, Dominique Aganasto in terms of talking about metabolic cancer at a conference. And so for me, I was talking actually about physician burnout as it relates to, to treatment of cancer. But uh, Thomas Siegfried was talking about his beautiful work in cancer as a metabolic disease. But I want to start this off with this particular post from a 2000 paper that Thomas Siffrey wrote, data from American Cancer Society shows that the rate of increase in cancer deaths per year at 3.4% was twofold greater than the rate of increase in new cancers per year at 1.7% from 2013 to 2017. Cancer is predicted to overtake heart disease as a leading cause of death in Western societies. That was in 2017, Jane. And it's already done it. I know it has. It must have overtaken heart disease by now. And it's, it's pre-pandemic. It's, it's it's the pre-pandemic. Yeah. So I mean, he was a little bit being playing a little bit Notre Dame there in yeah. predicting what's coming. Yeah. And and I've actually quoted this before that in the United States, 22 states of the 50 cancer is the number one cause of mortality in adults. And then my favorite, not my favorite because I like the data, but because it clearly lays waste to the war on cancer yeah. in terms of its overall success. Like you mentioned before, eloquently and beautifully, it has its areas where it's definitely been successful. There was the prospective urban rural epidemiology study published in the Lancet, two different journal articles. They looked at uh, 22 different countries classified them into high-income, middle-income, and low-income. And they found that in the high-income countries, 
cancer was the number one cause of mortality over cardiovascular disease, but get this, not by just a little bit, yeah. by a rate of two and a half wow. to one. So not only did it pass it, it blew. Yeah, wow. Passed that's, it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's actually unbelievably scary. But nobody's talking about it. Wow. That and was pre-COVID. It was 2019. Okay, but it's not going to stop, is it? I mean, where does it stop? And everybody is noticing their friends, their relatives. Somebody has, you know, we say, oh, we'll have somebody in your family somewhere that has cancer. So now you've got, everybody's got it. It seems like just everywhere you look. And maybe it's because I'm in, in that sphere and I'm seeing it all the time. But it's not just me. I know it's not just me. I know other people have noticed it as well. It's um, not just you. You're being observed, observant. You're actually acting as a scientist. You're, you're just simply observing what's around you. Um, so many doctors don't. They forget they are, in fact, part scientist and in part artist. But that's another topic for another day because medicine has lost the art of medicine. Uh, we need it back desperately. Uh, actually, check out the podcast where I talk with uh, world-famous and international um, award-winning C.P. Druitt and of C.P. C.P. Druitt Architecture, we talked about the art and science of medicine and, and really tie that in as it relates to architecture because I think there was a lot we can learn from architecture there. But you know, one thing that I think would be really cool to talk about is I get, like you said, you get a little bit focused in your field. I get yeah. focused in the same field. I get focused on what's going on in the U.S. I see what's happening in the U.S. We are seeing nutty, crazy, indescribable things as it relates to cancer. Yes, there are pockets where there are victories, but we are seeing younger and younger and younger people, women. This is the thing that concerns me the most, Jane, is when we look at the pandemic, when we understand and recognize spike proteins, the receptors, the ACE receptors, the, uh, the different receptors there, those tend to be highly expressed in reproductive organs. Yep. Ooh, so my yeah. concern is what are we going to see in the future? Are we already seeing that now? Now, I'm not de facto declaring anything. I'm just saying there's some dots and we collect them together and I'm a little concerned about where they connect. Mm. So in the U.S., we are seeing earlier and earlier, younger and younger women, colorectal cancer, breast cancer, uh, endometrial cancer, and we're seeing very aggressive types of these cancers as well. Yeah. Are you seeing yeah, similar strategy things? Totally, and colorectal in particular seems mm. to be a big thing over in the U.K. That's, that's, I think it's gone up by about six times or something in younger people. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, really um a problem that's not being addressed properly and you know the nhs bless them what's, i don't think there's going to be an nhs around for much longer who knows but you know they they haven't got the strategies together to try and create prevention programs it's what we need to do in the future all this trying to treat but we need to have people understand what drives and what creates the cancer in the first place and that's that's a big topic you know, that, that's, a, that's a brilliant point because I tell people if we sat here on a podcast and, and said, here's how you can make a million dollars, go bankrupt three times. You know, that would be a podcast that would not go very far. Yeah. But if we proactively worked to grow a future, grow and right there we're talking about finances wealth devise a strategy a mission statement you know we're talking about a business building the structure out set one one year goal three year goal five year goal work within a team to help construct that adapt to the environment that is the marketplace that is a prevent preventative strategy mm. you've set a goal medicine doesn't do that no it's what I tell, reactive i tell patients in the u.s i don't know about the uk you don't drive as much as we do i mean if we you know half a block to get something, uh, you know, a Coke, not a Coke, forgive me, coffee. Um, can't even believe I said that. It must be a little bit hypoglycemic here. I'm thinking about sugar. I have not had a Coke in probably two decades. But, um, you know, American will hop in a car and drive half a block. Yeah. We treat our cars better than we treat our bodies. This is so true. We go for a service. Yeah. 
every year your car gets serviced and you spend money on it. You know, it can be thousands you spend. Do you spend the thousands checking out your body, looking after it in the same way? People don't. They abuse it. They do the opposite. And you can always they... go buy another car, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, we can't go buy another us. No. So you're seeing the same thing in the UK? Very much so. Um, does yeah. the media see that? Does the yeah, does they did a medicine report see on, that? Well, the media reported on colorectal. Uh, they had a big article um, about two weeks ago, actually, about the six times increase. I think there's about six times increase in in under 40s getting colorectal cancer. Could you send that to me? I'd love to yeah. read that. Yeah. So that so then they are talking about it. They are talking about it. Does yeah. the general public do they know about it? Well, hopefully they've read it as well, but whether it goes in or it just, oh, that's not going to apply to me, thought process, which often is the denial, you know, <laughs> and that's what people do. They stick their heads in the sand and ignore what's going on because they don't want it to happen to them, but they don't think it's going to. Nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. Did you think it was going to happen to you? No, I always thought I was relative. I mean, I thought I was healthy. And then when I look back, I realized I really wasn't. Uh, so... Yeah, but I never thought it would happen to me at such a young age. I mean, I got mine before I was 30. So, you know. And, you know, one of the things that I didn't mention is, you know, we hadn't talked about what's called transgenerational inheritance, which is, you know, we focus on the impact of things on us now as to, for example, your incredible story, how you basically defeated stage four cervical cancer, metastasis to your lung, but then now you've defeated a new primary, new secondary cancer that resulted from the treatment of the initial cancer. Yeah. And that is the focus that we tend to have as it relates to cancer is focusing on the longevity within us. But what I tell people, is, and a producer was talking about a podcast I got coming out where I talk about legacy versus longevity, because when we focus on the longevity of ourselves, we we fail to recognize the impact of the legacy that has mm. from our from us to our children, our grandchildren. Yeah. And inter intergenerational and transgenerational inheritance, Jade, is is the impact of epigenetic change yep. that manifests in generations away. They did a study looking at mice, and they injected one dose one dose of intraperitoneal chemotherapy. And they found that that increased disease in those offspring out to the peak, wow. sixth generation. Six. That was the peak. That means seven and eight, it was still there, but at lesser of a peak. Yeah. So the point is what we do, and this is why I feel that what you have in your book, because so much of it is natural, but you're not afraid to say, hey, we can use low-dose chemo. We can use repurposed medications, but we need to recognize the impact we're having on the legacy of our cells and the legacy of our actual legacy. Mm. So I didn't bring that up because I know your story and your history, and I want to focus on that. But, you know, just something to think about because the research is there and we have, this is why I think the problem in the UK the yeah. problem in the U.S. is only going to be bigger. And in fact, I was reading a post on LinkedIn and it was a little bit of a silly post, a little bit hyperbolic. This doctor said that if you're a woman and it's October, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, no woman should drink red wine. She said, not one glass, not one glass red wine. And I came back and I talked to my wife and I said, that, that is just silly because you live long enough. Guess what? Life is carcinogenic. <laughs> Life yeah. is carcinogenic. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so what we need then. By the way, there is a study that says that if you take methylfolate, uh, your chance of getting, and, and compare it to teetotalers, your chance of getting cancer is the same as a teetotaler if you're taking the right kind of folate. Okay. It goes back a long way, but it's all about methylation, etc. And just, you know, yeah, I little, think that's. A little British lingo here. Sorry. Teetotaler. Teetotal, somebody who doesn't drink. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. That's good. I was thinking, okay, that's somebody that drinks a lot. No, opposite. Oh, just the opposite. Yeah. Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So take so, the take the B, the folate. The methylfolate. Methylfolate. And I don't know how much. I can't remember. It was a study done a while ago, but it showed that the rate of getting cancer was the same. as If you're taking regular 
folate? Well, the problem with epidemiology studies, which is where a lot of those studies come from, yeah. talking about lifestyle, is epidemiology is, is it, it takes things out of reality yeah. and context. And, and that's why I want to do a podcast on red wine, because I didn't realize this until I went down the rabbit hole. And we've gone down some serious rabbit holes <laughs> and just wait for the one I'm going to let Jane go down and we may not come back from it. But... Um, most of the studies on red wine and alcohol as it relates to carcinogenesis is actually not wine at all. It's diluted ethanol, 200% diluted ethanol. And so you have the epidemiology studies and then you have the studies where they've basically taken cancer cells and put alcohol in a dish. Right. And most of it's not wine. So there was actually a 2019 article where they actually took one-year-old red wine and three-year-old red wine and they put it in the Petri dish. Of course, it was a cell culture study, it wasn't a human study, but put that in there, and the one year killed the cancer cells, the three year killed the cancer cells, the three year killed the cancer cells more. But the conclusion was amazing. They said, look, guys, this is the effect of everything. That's not exactly how they phrased it. They didn't say, hey, you guys, but it's everything. It's all of the constituents within the wine because they then also gave diluted ethanol Right. And that didn't kill it. No. But it was all of the constituents within mm. the wine mm. that killed the cancer cells. Now, yeah. what I'm saying is in moderation, moderation sure. everything can be to some degree a part of a healing program. I mean, you can drink too much water and kill yourself. So we have to put a little bit of everything in context. So I think that's, that's a good point. Um, the methylfolate is definitely a big thing. Proper dosing, I think epigenetic testing helps us to understand really where and what people individually need. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody talks about the methotetrahydrofolate. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, it's again... It's all about the microbiome. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, look after your gut. If you're going to prevent cancer, that's kind of one of the big things is the microbiome. And how do you feed your gut? Through the mouth. And yeah. actually, the dental, the dental areas, that's where it all goes in to start with. That's like the big zone that needs to be looked after. <laughs> she's good, she's good. So we're talking about energy medicine now. Now you're just right, opening okay. all the meridians and everything involved in that. Okay. So um, so very, very good in terms of how all that connects together. Um, so for example, for me, my pheochromocytoma, I had a really bad abscess Did you? Uh, in the, exactly where that was. Wow. So, um, of course, I've had that, that removed. Really? That's why every now and then it sounds like I'm whistling at you. I'm not. I have just have an artificial tooth <laughs> in. I would never do that. My wife is right there. It's just this artificial tooth. Sometimes it just whistles. So there you go. But um, what we need, and because what we talked about there is what we're seeing in the U.S., talked about the prospective urban rural epidemiology study, talked about... Uh, you know, what you're seeing in the UK, the report, sounds like we need a revolution. We certainly do. Yeah. And you just happen to have a couple quotes <laughs> in your book. So these are, um, what, can we call them Jainisms? No, that doesn't sound right. We've got to come up, we've got to come up with an ism to go with them because these are right. some really good quotes. In an intellectual revolution, there must be ideas and advocates willing to challenge an entire profession, the establishment itself willing to spend their reputation and careers in spreading the idea through deeds as well as words. Now, this was that, a quote you took yeah, from a book. Was, I took a quote. But it's still, it. you put it in here. Yeah. Uh, that was Judy somebody, I can't remember. Yeah, that was uh, Jude. Uh, Jude Winiski. Yeah. Yeah. But then you said... Join my revolution, spread the word. I did. So I asked you, do we need a cancer revolution? Because in 2018, when you wrote this book, you already said we do. And you identified correctly yourself as being one of the few with the ideas and the advocacy mm. to empower not just patients, that's obviously most important, but an entire profession. I know, and that's tricky. That's a really tricky bit, and I'm working from the grassroots up. So the, I've asked patients to go in with a copy of my book, <laughs> and actually try and if they don't, if they're not familiar with the book, to actually leave it with the oncologist. You know, as an extra, I'm not just trying to sell my book. I'm just trying to sell the idea. 
you know, and um, if the doctor's already got it, they'll say. <laughs> but it's uh, a matter of just trying to nudge it under their nose a little bit. But I think the, the change will come from seeing how patients respond to the kind of approach that I talk about using a cocktail of old drugs, using supplements, using, you know, the whole host. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I talk about lots of things. I don't care which one you use as long as it works. Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many things and so many different types of cancer and they all need a personalized approach. And this is what I want them to see is that it's not just their chemo, the radiotherapy. You know, that's not, those are not the things that are actually going to get the long-term remission in these more advanced cancer patients. Two decades and longer. Yeah. Two decades and counting, which is where you are. That's yep. exactly right. And I'm sure you have the intention for four and five, you know, and yeah, so, so that's right. <laughs> so, and, and that's until we in the world of cancer don't see that in the majority of patients, we need to keep working. And that's yep. where the idea of a revolution is absolutely definitively needed. So this is your second edition book, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's my second. And because you added a component to this, I yeah, believe. a whole chapter at the back on ferroptosis. And I've got more science in there as well. It's actually another 80 pages compared to oh, yeah. my first edition. Uh, and I put <laughs> an index in there as a complaints, many complaints, because I didn't put an index in the first one. I published it myself, just put it out there. It was actually quite expensive to put the index in. So I was just doing it myself to start with. I didn't know how popular it was going to be. There you go. Well, it is, and honestly, I feel it needs to be more popular because I think it, as I mentioned before, over and over again, it's a vector that can bring patients and doctors back together again. I hope so. I uh, really hope I so. And the patients are, are so empowered with the knowledge, and I don't think that the oncologist appreciates how knowledgeable some of my followers are because they learn this stuff. They are like fully into understanding what's driving well, me. If they're cancer. reading your books, they absolutely are. <laughs> Honestly, to be honest, I think it threatens doctors. Maybe it does. I hadn't thought about it that way. I it think it do. threatens them because I love sitting in front of patients that are knowledgeable and empowered. And I can tell very quickly when they are, I said, oh great, we get to go down some rabbit holes together. Yeah, you know, I get excited about yeah. it. And you know what I get really excited about is when they teach me something. Yeah, that's It's like, terrific. holy cow, I had no idea. And the people go, well, you're a doctor, you should know. No, no, if any doctor tells you he knows everything, run, yeah. run. Yeah. And I always tell my wife, if I tell her when I come home, I know everything, it is time to retire. The more we learn, the more we don't know. Yeah. And I think that makes doctors feel uncomfortable most, not all, when an empowered patient comes in. At the same time, I think there's a way that an empowered, knowledgeable patient can come in to bridge with the doctor that yeah. may be apprehensive. Yeah. Uh, Cause I'll never forget a patient uh, husband who said he was gonna go back to the oncologist and say, well, you said she was gonna die because of her bone mets and she wouldn't follow your treatment. Now look, she has no bone mets. Amazing. He wanted to do that. I said, please don't. <laughs> He did, so you can imagine nothing good came of that, but yeah. I understood what he was trying to do. Yeah. That doctor took that as defensive. Yeah. He took it, he, and he turned around and tried to be offensive with it, versus I think, I think there's a way that patients can you know, bridge that in a cordial, professional way, and I think it's that would hard. grow it. It's very hard. When a doctor's told you nonstop that you're going to oh, die, yeah. Yeah. How do you actually, you know, I have a patient who since 2014, I've been, I've been helping her. And every time she went into the oncologist, this oncologist would say, um, you know, you know, you are going to die very soon. <laughs> so she, she fired her and went to somebody else. And, you know, she, we're now talking many years later with stage four breast cancer. She's doing fine. She, she actually works in A&E as a nurse and she still does it. And she's, you know, she's amazing, amazing. And I said, when are you going to send her uh, Christmas cards and things, you know? And she, I, d I don't know what she's going to do, but she, she talked about how do I tell this oncologist I'm still here? Because she wants her to know, because she's walked out of her practice, doesn't want to have anything to do with her, but she really wants her to know she was wrong. 
and she upset that patient so badly, constantly telling her she was going to die. It's just so awful and so destructive. We talked about the power of the written word. Yeah. It's powerful. It is. Verbal words, they will cut like a knife. Yeah. And they will cut deep and hard. And they, in many ways, can change a person's future. They can change a person's future. I can tell you one way that she could do it. I had a patient that um, she was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer. She was actually from Scotland. Um, and she uh, moved down to the UAE, had colorectal cancer. Her oncologist told her that she was going to die. I can't remember if it was three months or four months. But um, so then when her first year anniversary came, she went and walk the halls of the clinic until that doctor saw her. <laughs> so then yeah. for five years, every year, she would make a trip back to that clinic, right. walk that's the halls. That's because that's going back into that zone that the, you really don't want to go to. She said it was really interesting, his response. The first two years, he would smile and see her, but then the third year, he saw her and turned and walked away. Yeah. And the fourth way, Fourth year, the same. The fifth year, the same. Now, she ended up getting COVID and passing away. Right. It wasn't cancer that got her. Mm. It was COVID. So, it took a lot of people. Um, it was a tough time, pandemic. But here, it, it took her through the classic lung issue. Mm. You know, she got COVID pneumonia and passed away. Yeah. But what she did is she went back. That was her way yep. of showing. But, but what he did is he shied away from it. Yeah. She was showing the revolution. You wrote about the revolution and said, join you. Um, there's a, you mentioned a, um, uh, a documentary out there on cancer revolution. Yeah, they've just done a fantastic. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch yeah. it. I don't watch a lot of uh, yeah. documentaries like that, but um, because I'm a geek, I read. It's uh, very well made. Is it made well yeah. done? So we are in desperate need of a revolution and people are starting to talk about it. More and more people are starting to talk about it. Yeah. And guess what? That means a revolution's coming. So you talked about this new idea of killing cancer, new to some by ear, but not new to the science. So what is this revolutionary way to kill cancer? So we're looking at using cancer's love of iron to use it as a way to kill it. So it has this affinity for iron, gathers it all up, stores it. We actually want to free that iron inside the cell and then oxidize it and kill it. It's a process called ferroptosis. Now that's a word that comes, if you're geeks like us, you may have heard of the word apoptosis, which is in, in essence means programmed cell death. It's a mechanism of which many different treatment strategies in cancer can kill cancer cells. It triggers programmed cell death. It's a very structured, well-ordered process that doesn't trigger massive amounts of inflammation. And so in, in many ways, that's actually good because over, overzealous inflammation in that process can actually propagate the cancer growth yeah. and spread. But ferroptosis is basically kind of the next phase, but it's taking the concept of apoptosis, not using the cap cast spaces, yeah, cap spaces space, yeah. but actually now using the iron. Yes, and causing the cell death to occur in the cell membranes. Mm -hmm. um, so you get this something called peroxidation, too much, you know, the, the bad oxidation in the cell membrane that will actually cause the cell to die. Correct. So this is a, a different way of causing the cell death because often when you're stage three or four, you can become very resistant to all the methods to create the caspase cascade, the normal apoptosis mechanism of cell death. So you're actually trying to create a different strategy. Hopefully the cancer's not resistant to apoptosis. I haven't come across, well, there are resistant mechanisms, but, um, and that's another thing I talk about in my book. It's a bit like my Metromap. There are resistance pathways that you need to overcome as well. Um, some of the antioxidants actually you need to, and we're talking about potent antioxidants like CoQ10, yeah. and we're talking about alpha tocopherol, mm -hmm. which is vitamin E. So 
we are looking at uh, very potent antioxidants stopping this process of ferroptosis. And it's not necessarily, you can do a sort of a low level bit of ferroptosis alongside the apoptosis. People think it's always a big pulse that you're trying to aim for. You can do that. That's actually more aggressive ferroptosis where you maybe have intravenous vitamin C. Yeah. What that's going to do is create the hydrogen peroxide. So you create the oxygen to react with the iron. But you, and that's when you get this reaction. But you need to have a way of releasing the iron in the cell first. This is where garlic is brilliant. It helps to release some of the oh. iron in the cell. So you have lots of garlic in your diet. Everybody should have lots of garlic. It's one of the top things against cancer. And I suspect because it's gradually creating a bit of ferroptosis in the background, Possibly. That's a theory. Another so is theory, it driving James the theory. thin reaction or it's, it's just... Drive, it's just creating, it's freeing up the iron in the cell. And then there are, you don't necessarily always need um, intravenous vitamin C. There are some things that will actually cause ferroptosis on their own. Like Dan Shen, for example, in breast cancer will cause ferroptosis. So, and something called matrine in colorectal cancer flubendazole for prostate cancer. So there are some things that will actually trigger ferroptosis. You don't need to have a full cocktail necessarily right. of lots of things, but there are some either drugs or supplements that will actually encourage ferroptosis to happen alongside the apoptosis, the necroptosis, all these other oh, pyroptosis. The crosstalk. The crosstalk. No, it's true. The, yeah. the crosstalk. For example, the reactive, the reactive oxygenation species of the oxidative stress that has common connection between all of those. Mm. And the glutathione has connection with the you know, ferroptosis, with the pyroptosis. So the point here is when she's talking about uh, the ferroptosis and she's actually bringing it to the, the consciousness of the general public so as to bring this to the consciousness of the physician to target, this connects through all those other programmed cell death pathways. Mm. Um, and, and iron, so why, why does cancer love iron? Because it drives the metabolism. It's a key ingredient for driving some of those metabolic processes. So it loves it. And because yeah. it's so active, it needs more of it. So that's why it pulls it in and it stores more. Um, but we need to get rid of it. And then, interestingly, if you've got ferroptosis kind of happening. It actually suddenly pumps out a lot of the iron. So, and again, CBD is great for stopping that. Yeah. <laughs> so it stops this exosomes being pushed out because they push out iron at the same time. If there's a, a situation where ferroptosis may happen, this is a resistance pathway that cancer has to try and stop it. It doesn't want to die. So it's evolved all these, I mean, oh, evolution of cancer has millennia yeah, so you yeah. know it's learned lots of tricky ways to evade being killed but we can work we once we know what those are so cbd is kind of key to, oh, and so you know there are lots of things that you need to add in really and uh, interestingly reducing coq10 is a key part of it and this is where the statins actually in cancer yeah. are actually quite useful i don't necessarily think you should take statins for the rest of your life once you've got through that acute phase of trying to get rid of your cancer and you've been NED maybe for a, maybe a couple of years, you can maybe then pulse, and that's what I do now, I pulse the statin. I don't take it all the time. I only take it, you know, and I still take a cocktail at night, every night, um, but I don't do the full statin approach all the time. I sort of take them for three weeks and then I'll take three weeks off. So that's the way I do it now. So you were sitting there talking and I was thinking, yeah, in your book, you talked about Thomas Siffried's article on the press and pulse theory. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you just started going, well, I'm going to pulse it. Because what we don't want to do is just have people take stuff to take stuff. Yeah. We want to understand that, you know, cancer cells, if you get, you know, they, they are life. They yeah. want to live. And so we have to recognize that it's going to adapt to its environment. So when Thomas Sifried talked about this first in this paper, I think it was 2018 maybe, um, talked about the press pulse theory, 
it makes perfect sense. And now we're actually seeing that bear out in actual treatment mm -hmm. where if you pulse here and you talk about it in your book, you pulse, you have to recognize you need to pulse in a different way. You can't just keep pushing because if you keep pushing, the cancer is going to adapt. The cancer stem cells will adapt. We must recognize, we must be smarter. Yeah. We must be, and that's where the revolution I think comes in, the empowerment of the patient through elevating their awareness, their knowledge. That's the one thing that in cancer, a patient needs is the knowledge. And maybe it is threatening. I hadn't really thought about that from from really looking from the doctor's perspective to get, you know, to get patient after patient coming in saying, I've read that book or, you know, and I've, I, I really want to be on this cocktail of um, old drugs, you know, which the Care Oncology Clinic provide and they must they must find it quite threatening and, and the care oncology are actually quite big in the UK so you know this is something that um, UK doctors must come across a lot now and that's not as big in the US they're ostracized yeah. um, quite a bit of course the the conventional oncology um, arena in the United States is very hardcore um, I mean there are dogmas within medicine for sure and oh, then yeah. there are dogmas and the dogma, I mean, conventional oncology, it is, whew, it's borderline religious in some aspects and, and you agree. don't affront it. Um, but understand we must affront anything and everything mm. for patients. That's what we do. I mean, for me as a practitioner, you know, I'll give you just a little bit of insight to me. Being a physician, I think is I'm a person of faith. It connects me to who I am. Mm -hmm. I think it, emblema, it, it, it it's emblematic of who I am following. And there is no greater thing that I can do than that, but hope and heal and teach and serve. Getting up and going to work and doing that with patients it is the ultimate fulfillment. Mm. I sadly think that in medicine, there are a lot that don't. No, I don't think we would be sitting here having this discussion if traditional conventional oncologists were doing a good job. There are some that do. There and are we, some I think that I, do. We, we, we need to be clear. I don't like to you know throw darts, but I, as I said, I can do better. They can do better. We all can do better. I just don't think they're prepared to even open the book and read. It's, it's down to as far as, you know, they're, they're not even prepared to open the discussion. No. And part of it's laziness. I think it's, oh God, you know, back in, I've heard one say, back in my day, cancer was so simple. You just gave a bit of chemo. And is that, what? and now we've got all these different pathways that we know about and you're not prepared to learn about them. You're not prepared to understand how to better yourself, how to better the lives of patients. Not interested, just not interested. It's, it's, it's their responsibility. Laziness. Well, it's, yeah, let me tell you, the continuing medical education promotes it, it propagates it. Not only do they tell them what to read, they tell them what not to read. They really? tell them what to think. By doing that, they're telling them what to think, but we can go down that. Let's, let's, let's go back to ferroptosis because that's, because we can go way <laughs> off down the track yeah. there. But you know, ferroptosis, there's people go, okay, so cancer loves sugar. Okay. That makes sense. You touched on how cancer can use amino acids, glutamine, and there's others, arginine, yeah. et cetera. Well, um, it likes to pull in cysteine as well. Yeah. And cysteine is part of the antioxidant support system to create the glutathione in the cell there you go. and this the glutathione is the master antioxidant so that's what's going to protect the cell from chemo from radiotherapy as well actually so the times to have glutathione times to have a bit of n-acetylcysteine actually after the chemo you can protect your gut there's about six hours i think you've got to wait after your chemo and then you can have a little pulse of cysteine they've showed will actually help protect your healthy cells um, so there are there is definitely a time to have that but actually if you're doing ferroptosis you want to avoid the glutathione uh, and you want to reduce the cysteine cysteine is what creates the glutathione and there's a little transporter that pulls in the cysteine 
um, that kicks you can out block. Something else. <laughs> kicks <laughs> out the glutamate. But yeah. you can block that. You can block that with um, drugs, certain drugs. There's a, an old rheumatoid drug called sulfazalazine, which works very well. In fact, if you take it in liposomal form, you only need 10% of the dose of oh, wow. sulfazalazine. Do you have that in the UK? No, I'm going to have to try and get hold of it. Okay. So one day, when I have my clinic in the UK, planning it, one day <laughs> with some doctors, um, that I will be able to get hold of it somewhere. I don't know where, but we'll have to look at that. It's part of my mission right now is there to try go. and find that. You know your and, purpose. <laughs> yeah. And then also, um, sorafenib works, and which is used for liver cancer quite a lot, and alaparib actually mm -hmm. works really? as well and i've seen with BRCA cancer actually they they can see that ferroptosis works better particularly if they're being given a laparib but you can make the laparib work more efficiently if you add some of these things in long pepper also blocks so that's a a, a natural supplement that will block you look at the research on long pepper with pancreatic cancer really um quite interesting to see how that helps block that cysteine getting into the cell that stops the cancer cell making the glutathione and then it's much more vulnerable to being killed so ferroptosis requires iron yeah iron acts as in many ways a central spoke in reduc reduction and oxidation transfer of electrons and that's part of why it plays such a, a big role there but i wanted to touch on just a little bit because People may not have heard of ferroptosis, but let's provide just a little bit of science there. Something called the Fenton reaction, yep. which you mentioned, you talked about, um, you know, iron plus hydrogen peroxide and how that is what leads to the process. So yeah, describe that a little bit more. Hydroxyl ions. Mm -hmm. So you end up with a different type of oxidation going on. This is, in fact, actually it synergizes really well, believe it or not, with um, Radiotherapy produces hydroxyl ions. So if you then create a situation where you can create more of these hydroxyl, these are free radicals. Any oxygen radicals are called free radicals. And these were, were normally associated with aging and things like that. Actually, that's been dispelled a little bit. But the, the whole point is that we want to have these free radicals killing cancer. Cancer hates oxygen, really does these oxygen-free radicals are going to kill it. So we, that's what we're trying to create. But we right. want to have it in a targeted way. We don't want free radicals all over the system. You know, people are saying, well, can I just inject some kind of, I don't know, bleachy type thing with lots of... Uh, no, that's, that's, just, that's just going to create havoc in the whole body. What we want to do is actually have a targeted approach. This is why intravenous vitamin C is so good because it is more targeted towards the cancer itself because it has uh, less catalase, so it doesn't diffuse or de whatever denature the the hydrogen peroxide so well. So your cancer, t your normal healthy tissues can get rid of hydrogen peroxide, but the cancer can't. So it, it then creates these targeted zones that you can then create ferroptosis. So I love intravenous vitamin C with the right cocktail sure. of supplements and drugs and maybe that's sulfazalazine but artemisinin is also another key ingredient that i love because it's pro-oxidant it releases to oxygen and especially when you're talking about iron yeah i mean of course <clears throat> the iv form is artesanate but our, yes. our, it's a better it's a it's a synthetic form but artemisinin is a great product in of itself um, but, you know, the bioavailability of the oral route, again, remains a problem there. But you, it can be overcome. It's better as a full-spectrum herb, apparently. I agree. I agree. And liposomal, maybe. Anyway, we'll see. Some improvement there, definitely. Yeah. But if you, for example, have, you know, advanced cancer, yeah. widely metastatic, you know, IV artesanate and vitamin C, and, and you're exactly correct, you're going to couple those. You're going yeah. to precisely stack those so people would go well what's precise stacking what, what does that even mean well if somebody has you know a condition that is very characteristic of of a, a cancer type that is vulnerable to ferroptosis yeah rapidly growing metastatic hey res yeah a crass brilliant yeah so yeah. with that what you want to do is 
targeted. So with that, obviously you do labs, but just the CRAS mutation, even BRAF, and then yeah, you Yeah, no, you, there are other ones that work yeah. really well as well. So understand that's a really all, big one. And then so that then tells you, okay, this is so you look at a what in the US we have what's called a KI sixty seven, which is a proliferative yeah. index. We have that in the UK. Okay. And so you go, okay, this is very likely a rapidly using iron, high labile iron pool, it's called. So then what you do is you stack. Yeah. You stack the artisanate, the artemistin, the vitamin C, and then you start to stack the other things. You know, talk about uh, photodynamic therapy. You start tacking it, uh, stacking with hyperthermia. Now you start pounding the multiple pathways, yeah. the diversion pathways yeah. that you can do. That's how you kill yeah. cancer. And I think photodynamic therapy works really synergistically with ferroptosis. So if you, you can kind of give a, so if you don't get the results that you want with ferroptosis, you might want to give a bit of photodynamic therapy first, then try again with the intravenous vitamin C and see, and you can often get a better result having done the photodynamic therapy in the meantime. But again, you need to be reducing the glutathione in order to create that oxidation, which again is what photodynamic therapy does. It, re, it releases some um, free radicals. Yeah, for those that may not have heard that photodynamic therapy, that's where you're using wavelengths of light and photosensitizers together. So you can use, uh, for example, methylene blue as a photosensitizer and then use red light. But chemo, all everything has a light spe spectroscopy that is going to take something from a active but not super activated state and elevate that. And that's what photodynamic therapy does. And in cancer, it is insanely powerful. So ferroptosis is called death by, by iron. iron. Mm -hmm. So it's actually using iron as the mechanism for destruction yeah. of the cancer cell. So it's like hoisting it by its own petard is kind of a nice little... Yeah. <laughs> Good British. So this, it is. <laughs> a little good British term. I've heard that. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's just using its inherent need for iron as a way to kill it. Yeah. And so in this book, <clears throat> if you had to pick um, three things that you would say, these are three go-to therapies where ferroptosis is clearly involved and indicated, what would you say are three top examples? Okay, right. For a start, you need to have enough ferritin in the system. So you need to check the ferritin levels. The other thing you need to check is the homocysteine mm -hmm. levels as well. You actually need to have very low homocysteine and it's this, I'm going to emphasize the cysteine yeah. part of homocysteine because the cysteine can then replenish That's right. the, um, the system. So you actually want to have a low level of homocysteine um, and what else am I going to tell you? So th those are two key things that you definitely need. And then you need to have a cancer that is going to be receptive to it. So not all cancers are particularly receptive to ferroptosis, but some definitely more so. Um, pancreatic cancer, I really want to do a trial next year. Hopefully I'll get a trial going with looking at a cocktail. Um, I'm going to devise a cocktail. I don't know whether any doctor's going to do it, but I would like to do a cocktail of a sequence of how to do it. So you, you can prepare for the ferroptosis phase. So you take the statins and you kind of do a um, ketogenic diet for a while because that does cause ferroptosis, although it can cause interleukin-6 problems to Everything in the, everything you know. timing, every, I mean, it, it's, it's, it is a complicated thing, yeah. but I, this is where I want to have these patient advocates that can know about some of this and actually guide the patient a little bit and go, right, you're on day six, you're going to swap over, you're going to have a methionine free diet. All right. So methionine oh, yeah. is another thing that can replenish the homocysteine. And, you know, you, you have this, um, process where you just need to reduce particular particular aspects from your diet and you also need to so it's basically a meat-free diet um, so you can't just treat you know we, we're talking about pulsing therapies here <laughs> people say well I'm on an anti-cancer diet and they stay <coughs> on the quote same anti-cancer diet you can't no. even approach dietary yeah. changes that way you have to pulse that 
Yeah. And you have to target that as well. No, it gets all very complicated in a way. Or it sounds very complicated, but it isn't really. It's not. And I do think that cancer patients do benefit, if particularly if they've got bad metabolism, if they're insulin resistance. You know, you need to look at doing uh, more of a ketogenic diet to start with, for sure. But you can, there are other ways to achieve ketosis. You can do intermittent fasting, which is my favorite. And, you know, there are other ways that you can create those ketones which are so beneficial right, for you right. they are anti-cancer and in fact ketones the beta hydroxybutyrate which is one of the ketones yep. will protect the brain yep. from the healthy cells in the brain from um, ferroptosis and curcumin will help protect the kidney from um, ferroptosis as well because you need the kidney working well so <clears throat> so it's just a matter of getting the right cocktail together to create the right environment for it all to happen. And it probably the right cocktail, the, the right sequence, the right precision therapy <laughs> stacking probably is going to vary from cancer type to cancer type to a yeah. point. Yeah, sure. exactly. So the supplement mix will be slightly different. And in fact, with hormone driven cancers, so breast and prostate, for example, you need to block the hormones. So even if you're um, castration resistant, so that's like androgen therapy doesn't work anymore, right. you probably still need to have it in order to get ferroptosis to work in prostate cancer. Slightly odd scenario, but... Uh, no, I, I think I could probably explain why that is, but we don't right. have the time for that because <laughs> now we're talking about genomic and non-genomic hormone signaling. Right. And if you want to go down a really big rabbit Deep. hole, yeah, <laughs> we, can, we can go down that one. And okay. it's, it's one I like to go down, but it's one it's that I lose, I lose most people. That's, that's a good point. So, um, so when you look at things, start to kind of wrap this up, um, things that induce ferroptosis, chemotherapy, it can. Yeah, it can. So, so I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Cisplatin yep, and yep. methotrexate are, right. are two that work for right. inducing. And so if we look at mebendazole, yeah. right? Yeah. It's kind of acting. Flubendazole may be better. I'm not okay. sure okay. at this point. So interesting that these, that they're very similar. Yeah. Anyway. So the point is we have to be honest there. And of yeah. course, you know, I like to use the low dose metronomic chemo approach yeah. and stack it with other therapies. Um, some of the immunotherapeutics, radiation, yep. um, exactly. nanotherapies. And then, I st then we start to get more into the areas that you and I want to be, the comfortable areas where we can be, where the less chemo, immunotherapeutics, and radiation we do, the less destruction we do to the body. Yeah. Again, trying to avoid the idea that your healing is through the pathway of destruction. Where in nature does that exist? Come on now. Um, let's rechange that. Healing begets wellness, not destruction. Forget the going to war on cancer. But... Sonodynamic therapy, therapeutic ultrasound. Yep. Photodynamic therapy, which is different than photobiomodulation. So please understand that. And then repurpose medication. So give me three repurpose medications that just, oh, ferroptosis, ferroptosis, gold, silver, bronze. What would you say? I would probably put sulfasalazine as a top one. Okay. Um, but there are natural alternatives. Uh, another one that works is nitazoxanide. That's another antiparasitic, but it works. Um, glutathione peroxidase is where it works. Is that niclosamide? Nope. Okay. It's different. Okay. Yeah. People don't really know it. But no, I've never heard of it. Nitazoxanide, it also blocks rancor, which means it can stop bone mets as well, particularly for prostate cancer and probably um, breast and myelomas as well. So See, nitazoxanide this is, is... this is awesome because, you know, yeah. I love being taught. I love learning. So is that in is that in here? I don't yeah, remember. I don't talk about the bone mets there because okay. that's fairly recent um, research that I spotted. But the nitrosoxanide is in there. Okay, I missed that. I guess. Yeah, there's a lot in yeah. there. Yeah. Well, and I, <laughs> let me tell you what I reread so, quite a bit of it. Yeah. So so that's um, so that's three uh, repurposed medications. Well, the, the statins as well. Yeah. Okay. Really important for lowering the CoQ10. I think that's uh, is critical to have those. Contrast to repurposed medications, what about three supplements you you put up there on the gold, silver, and bronze stage? You also need to block something called HIF, which is hypoxia inducible factor. This is the lack of oxygen can drive a lot of resistance. Um, actually, a, a, a drug that works really well is something called noscopene, 
Mm -hmm. It comes from the opium poppy. Yeah. No psychoactive effects, but you can get it over the counter from Dutch pharmacies. Um, so that's something you can take. But Chrysin, C-H-R-Y-S-I-N. Yeah. It's a weak aromatase inhibitor. I know it well. Yep. That also helps block um, HIF-1 alpha. That there are lots of different pathways that can be used uh, to block, but CBD, that's the list to prevent these, you know, the iron being pumped out. Um, and then you've got some supplements that work directly. So I mentioned Dan, Dan Chen, mm -hmm. which is uh, for breast cancer, but you've also got uh, something called Sterculia, which blocks something called SCD1. Um, so that's an important pathway as well for some people. So it's a, you know, it's, you have to get the right mix, which is why I've spent days trudging around this ingredients suppliers show thing to try and get hold of some of these things, to try and create a, a cocktail that people can, so I just put it together and hopefully it'll be easy for people to just take it rather than looking at lots of different stuff. Here's the stuff. I've made the cocktail for you. Have a go at ferroptosis. Uh, there'll be some foundational stuff that every cancer patient should really look at using if they want to trigger ferroptosis. And then pulse it, combine it with other therapies, because yep. I think, you know, I yep. came across this study, so, yeah. and, I, and it really interesting, it was actually published in July of 2023. Right. So just this, you know, just a few months ago. Yep. Uh, ketogenic diet promotes tumor ferroptosis but induces relative corticosteroid deficiency that accelerates cachexia. So they were showing that it absolutely induced veroptosis. Yeah. But what it what it did is it, it accelerated cachexia. Now in this study, what they did Th those are those are patients with interleukin very high interleukin yeah. six. So here's what they did. Yeah. What would you do to suppress interleukin six? They gave DEXA. Mm. Dexamethasone. Mm. Okay, steroid. And so they suppress. Yep, it does. It does. But the point here, what they're showing is it's it's tying into what you said. Yeah. The ketogenic diet did induce ferroptosis, but it triggered inflammation. Inflammation, cachexia is, is muscle right. loss. It's wasting weight loss. There's particular di uh, uh, strategies in which you can define that, but it's driven by inflammation. Yeah. So actually, another top drug, which I will say works really well in ferroptosis, is celecoxib. Or oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's anti-inflammatory for a start, but the other thing it blocks is CA9. People don't know that, carbonic anhydrase 9. And this is, a, a again, a resistance pathway that cancer will use to, to stop the ferroptosis. So this is, again, another top. If you're talking about top, top uh, drugs, that would definitely be up there as well. So it's complicated. Oh, I've it's, spent a long time looking at you know, this, you know, and this is the other thing is that that will help switch the immune system on because some people are saying ferroptosis is, is it immunogenic? Is it immunosuppressive? If you use the right cocktail, you can make it immunogenic, which means you can pair it up with immunotherapies or mistletoe, for example, you can use with it as well. So there are lots of different ways to, so if you use it with the right cocktail, I reckon we could get really good results with it. You know, I've seen it with pancreatic cancer already. It's okay to say things are complex. I actually had a patient one time said, well, Dr. Good, your brevity is a soul of wit. I said, you are absolutely correct. But I said, what we're talking about here with cancer, I'm not trying to be witty. We're just trying to be accurate. And so I think embracing the idea that this is complex yeah. almost diffuses it a little bit. And you now you can say, Let's go to work in understanding this because yeah. what we've done here is we've gone through apoptosis, necroptosis, autophagy, touched on them just briefly. Of course, ferroptosis, uh, some new ones that we really didn't touch on, and cuproptosis, which is the same thing with copper, and then pyroptosis, and whatever optosis, right? So we've really dived, in, dived, dived into, I think, new understanding of the complexity, mm. but also I think a lot of what's fueling the new revolution. So Jane, you said in 2018, you know, join the new revolution. I'm right there with you. Now what we need is to grow more people. I know. And that's and I, what you're doing yes. in building and a I would patient love, advocacy. Yes, and I want to connect people more and actually swap notes with doctors as to what works so that I can really make a note of, of the cocktails that have really helped. Um, 
and maybe put I'm I'm talking to a working group with repurposed drugs in a couple of weeks about pancreatic cancer. Um, Desperately my, need help there. Desperately yeah, need. I'll put that my is a, ideas forward. It's a brutal disease. Yeah. All and cancer is, but that's yeah. We'll, we'll see where we go with that because I, I, it would be a good one to prove that it, you know, it's the most one of them apart from brain cancer. But you know, it's a really aggressive disease. You can show improvement because these patients don't normally live very long, three or four months generally. Yeah. You know, so you know we can look at uh, extending their lives and get good data relatively quickly compared to some of these other cancers that are slower growing. But what you've also shown, and we'll wrap this up, is that. Um, it's not just about a short course, it's about a long course. It's yeah. about a lifestyle, it's about a purpose. Yeah. It's, a final quote here, achieving remission is good, but staying Wonderful. there is another thing <laughs> altogether. Yeah. I tell patients that all the time when they come in my yeah. office and they say, I've achieved no evidence of disease, how did I do that? And then what I say is, yes. They go, what do you mean, yes? It's all of it, but I said, now, the work really gets difficult. They're mm. like, what do you mean? And it is tricky. It is, because I said, we're working on things we can't see. I know, and how do you know? What about these circulating tumor cells? Do you oh. rely on those <laughs> or not? You know? Well, I think the how technology you know is getting gone? better. Yes, I think I the technology too. is getting better there. I'd like to know which tests you use. We'll discuss that afterwards. But, you know, I, um, it's very hard when somebody it's comes to me. not the test you me, may think, because a lot of people use one test. I don't use it. Yeah, but. no, I'm, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I know which one. But anyway, so a lot of people will say they've got into NED. They're two years out. Like this lady I was talking to you about earlier with ovarian cancer. She came to me, right, what can I take off the program? I am scared to say yeah. take it all off and yeah. just yeah. go natural now or something. She, she wants to drop the metformin, the satins. You know, she's had really, really aggressive ovarian Her Tumor was the size of a seven-month-old fetus. She had liver met. She had lung met. It was everywhere, you know. And she's now NED. I'm going. Wow, you have achieved so much. Don't spoil it now. Well, here's how I here's how so, I follow that up because that question comes to me a lot too. Here's yeah, how I, I here's how I follow up with that. I said we're going to follow that very old scientific idiom. If it ain't broke, don't, don't fix, fix it. it. <laughs> it's Love not that. scientific. But the point is. When yeah. you're winning the war on cancer, you finish it. You put your foot down. Yeah. You do not let up because cancer does not care. Mm. It will mutate and morph and come back. Yeah. But that's the hardest place to be. And I thought yeah. that quote was a great way to wrap it up. And you embody that as well. So, mm. Jane, it was so awesome to not just meet you through a couple sentences on LinkedIn. Um, it was great. You are so much better in person. Thank you. As I expected you to be. <laughs> but, you know, as I was talking to the producer beforehand, I said, I have no idea what kind of communicator she is. Mm. But you have excelled there. So uh, you must buy her book. Um, how to Starve Don't Cancer. Don't be scared of the science. No, love it. Eat it up. <laughs> yeah, get somebody to help you with it. That's the whole point. And you can learn about all of this. And if you ever have insomnia, it will cure that. <laughs> I, uh, that happens to me. Um, so, but How to Starve Cancer and where, the, where can they find you on the web and everything? HowToStarveCancer.com is okay. my website. I have my Facebook group with How to Starve Cancer and also Jane McClelland, Off-Label Drugs for Cancer. Lots of free information there where they can just find their cancer type, see what other people have done. Loads of inspirational stories. Yeah. People with stage four going to no evidence of disease. Almost like every day now, it's like crazy. And then, you know, and then we've got, uh, then I've got Instagram, How to Starve Cancer. Um, but go to my website, that's got pretty much everything. It's got my teachable course and it's got my book. Nothing is more important than knowledge and empowering yourself with that. Wow, that's well said. So, of course, this is the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. You can find me on drgoodyear.com and Instagram, dr.goodyear. And I want to again thank Jane. It's my I've pleasure to come it. up and meet you in Las Vegas. And uh, we'll have to get together in London and uh, just. More nerdy talk. Oh, oh. 
Oh, maybe okay. not. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think so, let's be take a be break. careful. Let's be careful what you ask for because okay. you know. And I'm also talking about the some of the greening aspects of cancer care. Yes. Why I actually go through the deep science of curcumin, artesanate, etc. About what we know, what we don't know, and I'm what we think we know. To your talk. But anyway, so that's in London. That's at the gr yes. uh, greening of cancer care in first uh, of December. But I want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule. I hope that U2, U2 concert is absolutely amazing. But the work that you've done is absolutely amazing. You are providing hope mm. in an industry that not only has very little, it actually works against it. I know. So you are the perfect example of what I tell patients, hope it forward. Mm. So Dr. Goodyear, I am signing out with Jane McClellan until I see her again, hope it forward. For more information, just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing restore health, and promote your wellness, whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease. Our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear, and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.